1: nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Paul J. Ryan. Paul Ryan is a retired Navy Reserve captain. He's uh, a resident of West Michigan over in Johnson, Michigan. Started a life in Brooklyn, New York. Graduated with honors from the University of Notre Dame. Commissioned as an ensign and made his, all, his way all the way up uh, captain. So, uh, Paul, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hi, Jim. Good to be with you. Well, you've served about 25-plus years in the Navy, Navy Reserve, uh, with all kinds of different assignments uh, in peacetime, and and, uh, you were a surface warfare officer. Um, How did a nice boy from Brooklyn, New York, end up in the Navy?
2: Well, uh, uh, interesting question there. I actually attended a military high school in Manhattan, pretty unusual school uh, at that time in that uh, it was a day school, not a boarding school like a lot of military schools are. It was also parochial. It was Catholic. And uh, the military program at that time was mandatory through the uh, Junior Army ROTC program. Uh, fell in love with that and um, was looking when I was get, getting ready to graduate, looking at colleges. And uh, I couldn't afford to go without a scholarship, so I was looking at uh, Army and Navy ROTC scholarships and decided um, I didn't want to get that dirty by being in a foxhole, so I applied for a Navy scholarship and was fortunate enough to get it. Uh, Graduated from uh, Notre Dame's uh, Navy ROTC program with my uh, bachelor's degree uh, two weeks after uh, the Vietnam War ended. Uh, the war ended April 30th, 1975, when the uh, uh, Viet Cong uh, uh, captured Saigon, and I was commissioned on May 17th. So I just missed the Vietnam
1: War by two weeks. Some guys just have all the luck. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you had a, a, obviously a very interesting career and one that you enjoyed because you stayed uh, uh, you know, for the whole retirement period.
2: Yes, uh, um, I was on active duty for five years, all of that, in um, uh, in San Diego, made one uh, peacetime deployment to the Western Pacific on a destroyer, uh, was the oldest destroyer on active duty with the Navy at that time, was built in 1946, uh, was um, in what's called the uh, Individual Ready Reserve after that for about 18 months before I started active drilling, and um, stayed with that until... Uh, 2005 when it was basically mandatory retirement, that's a federal law that governs reserve officers in all the branches Uh, you'd have to be uh, at least selected for the next promotion up, which for me would be rear admiral or one star admiral and if you aren't selected for that uh, then you have to retire at 30 years of commission service, uh, which is what I did in, in 2005
1: you had a uh, very interesting civilian career in banking as well. Um, you uh, have, were involved with Fifth Third Bank in Grand Rapids, which uh, if you're old enough like me, you notice know the, the predecessor was uh, Old Kent Bank, which had a great reputation. So you had a very fulfilling uh, civil uh, career as well.
2: Yeah, I, I was 37 years uh, in, uh, in banking when you stitch together uh, my time with Fifth Third and uh, time with Old Kent and most of that, oh, just about all of it was in the uh, trusts and estates and investment planning area. Um, a very interesting career, met a lot of interesting people, employees, um, uh, 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 vendors as well as clients and uh, really a lot of interesting situations and some Um, interesting business travel as well.
1: So you stayed involved uh, in your civilian career with military matters as well, and veteran matters. You participated in uh, the Michigan Committee for Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, or ESGR. You were active with the Military Officers Association of America, the United Veterans Council of Kent County, and the West Michigan Veterans Coalition. And all of that's to say, uh, you are currently a board member uh, on the uh, Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. And that's kind of why we have you on today, because we want to talk about an upcoming induction ceremony that the Hall of Honor is having for Michigan Military and Veterans uh, for... Uh, the class of 2020, which got diverted because of COVID, but that Hall of Honor is coming up. Uh, uh, when, when, and where will that induction ceremony be?
2: Yeah, the um, uh, the, the Hall of Honor uh, does uh, conduct an annual um, induction ceremony to recognize Michigan's most distinguished service members and and veterans. Um, we had our initial induction ceremony in 2019. Uh, COVID, of course, last year uh, uh, had to uh, put the kibosh on that. Uh, but this year, in uh, 2021, we are combining uh, the induction class of 2020 and 2021 in our ceremony on uh, Friday, November 19th uh, at the Michigan History Museum in Lansing.
1: Well, it's going to be great to be able to get all of these uh, veterans and military members or their family members together in person for an event on November 19th of 2021, beginning about 12.30 p.m. at the Michigan History Museum in Lansing. Um, Talk to us a little bit, before we start talking specifically about the class of 2020, um, Paul, talk to us a little bit about what the mission or goal of the uh, Hall of Honor is
2: yeah, the, the the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor is a relatively new nonprofit entity created in 2017, um, and and it's designed to um, have a, have a place, a forum uh, for recognizing uh, Michigan citizens uh, who have distinguished themselves either through um, exceptional service while in the military. Or exceptional, uh, public service, uh, after they, uh, they've taken off the uniform. Um, our very first, uh, induction ceremony, as I said, was 2019, uh, beginning from a standing start. Uh, uh, we filled that uh, auditorium with over 240 people. Uh, our mission is threefold uh first is to recognize uh those individuals uh who the hall of honor believes are deserving of that recognition. And I'll tell you, Jim, that uh in, in my short time, uh, just a couple of years with uh with the Hall of Honor Board, I have been really overwhelmed with uh the uh, the knowledge of some of the extraordinary people, uh Michiganders, uh who have served in uniform. Um, and, and had some extraordinary careers in uniform and some individuals who have, uh, uh, provided some, uh, really outstanding, extraordinary contributions to, to, to our society in, in a variety of ways. Uh, in, in recognizing these individuals, we hope to educate Michigan citizens, particularly young people, uh, about, uh, military service as well as civic service, uh, in order to uh, instill, uh, a, a, an understanding of an appreciation for, uh, patriotism and civic virtue. Um, as I said earlier, we're, we're a new organization. So, uh, those two goals we think we are, uh, pretty good at executing at present, uh, at some point in the future as our organization matures. Uh, we hope to promote through, um, scholarships, uh, possibly uh, uh, nonprofit grants and other means uh, the, to promote the research and teaching of mil- Michigan's military hev- heritage, and uh, more importantly, the importance of military service to uh, citizenship and our responsibilities as citizens throughout the state and throughout the country. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about that last piece since uh, we know that uh, those currently serving in uniform, uh, the active component, the reserve component, and the National Guard amounts to less than 1% of the total population. And if you look at uh, anyone with military service going all the way back to World War II, uh, that figure represents only about 7% of the population. So, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of the people in uh, the population of the United States don't have direct military experience. And, and so an organization like the Hall of Honor is, I think, pretty important to educate people about what that looks like.
1: Well, and what's really interesting, and we're going to turn to the class of 2020 inductees here momentarily, but what's really interesting when you look at the inductees and you hear their individual stories, that's where history is really written, and that's where history can be taught to the general population to our kids to realize what some of these folks have done and sacrificed both in service and then kind of what's unique about the michigan military and veterans hall of honor is it also recognizes those folks who after getting out of service continue to if you will serve the country in their in their private sector jobs in a big way and we'll talk about uh... about some of those uh and we're talking to paul ryan uh retired captain navy reserve who's on the board of the hall of honor paul do you want to start by just sort of naming all of the inductees in the class of 2020 that are going to be uh, put in to the hall come this november uh for the uh if you will for the first time for them on november 19th 2021
2: yeah, happy to do that, Jim. Uh, there are uh, six inductees that uh, we are bringing into the Hall of Honor in what we call the military category. Uh, that would be uh, inductees who would be recognized for their military careers and military service. And then a uh, six inductees that we are categorizing as veteran category uh, inductees, those for folks who have had... Uh, very significant, extraordinary contributions, uh, to our society after they've taken off the uniform. Uh, the, the first of the six military category inductees is, uh, Maurice Kurtz. Uh, Maurice, uh, rose to the rank of four star admiral in the Navy. Um, he was a, uh, uh, veteran of both World War I and World War II, uh, was a combat leader, particularly in, in World War II
1: and each of each of these folks have their own story and we're not going to have the time to go through all of them but we're going to direct people to the uh, michigan military and veterans hall of honor website which is mi military vet vet hall of honor dot org where you're going to be able to read the full story but but l- let's go on, uh, Paul. Uh, Richard Gallagher, I think, is next yeah, up. Another yeah, Navy, just, another Navy that. man that you want to promote. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, Richard Gallagher is a three-star admiral in the Navy. Um, uh, Morton Harris was a major in the U.S. Army Air Corps. Uh, Alida Lutz uh, served in the uh, U.S. Army Air Corps. Uh, Lucius Theus, uh, who was a general officer in the U.S. Air Force. And Donald Thompson, uh, Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Air Force, those are the six military category inductees for the class of 2020. And then uh, in the veteran category, uh, we're bringing in uh, Rosemary Aquilina, uh, was a major in the Army National Guard. Uh, Gerald Ford, President of the United States. Uh, William Milliken uh, was an Army veteran, uh, Governor of Michigan. Uh, Gary Peters. Uh, Navy veteran, uh, U.S. Senator, uh, Peter Secchia, um, Marine Corps veteran, and Linda Woods, uh, an Air Force veteran.
1: Well, I could just tell by the branch of service and the names of the individuals that there's a good mix of uh, officers enlisted, every branch of the service. Um, it, it sounds like the Hall of Honor is trying to make sure that it's representing all kinds of different Michigan veterans and military members do I do I have that right
2: it's exactly right Jim and what counts for us is the achievement um and and when we look at extraordinary achievement that can occur anywhere uh officer uh services an officer service as an enlisted person uh uh experience in combat uh non combat experience uh as well as uh, just a wide variety of of service uh uh to the the community as a civilian uh after military service uh in the fields of academia, business leadership, philanthropy, education, uh you name it. That's uh, it, it runs the gamut and uh I I've been uh looking at the, the uh inductees are just thrilled at the uh diversity of achievement, you know, who these people are and what they've done.
1: Well, there's a couple of these uh, inductees in the class of 2020 I want to ask you to drill down a little bit more on because I found them kind of interesting. And tell us about this the story about Althea Lutz, uh, who was a uh, army uh, nurse corps uh, veteran. but a heck of a story.
2: Yeah, uh, alita Lutz is 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 a uh, uh, the perfect example of wartime bravery. Uh, She was from Freeland, Michigan, um, born in 1915. Uh, She volunteered for the U.S. Army Nurse Corps pretty uh, shortly after World War II, uh, the beginning of World War II in February 1942, commissioned a second lieutenant, uh, was trained as an air evacuation nurse, uh, something that was really new for the military, new and untested at that time. Uh, was assigned uh, to uh, a medical unit, the 802nd Medical Air Evacuation Squadron, which was part of the U.S. Army Air Corps' 12th Air Force. Uh, her unit was deployed to North Africa and was the first one to uh, do a wartime deployment uh, overseas. Uh, Alita participated in six battle campaigns over a 20-month period. She uh, accompanied air combat missions, and conducted all-weather medical evacuations in France, Italy, and Tunisia. Uh, tragically, Alita died at age of 28 uh, when her uh, aircraft uh, crashed in France in November of 1944. Uh, her medevac flight crashed, no survivors. Uh, on that plane uh, were 15 Wounded soldiers, nine of whom were American, and six were German POWs. Uh, Alita was the first American woman to die during World War II. She was the most experienced flight nurse in the U.S. military service with 196 separate sorties, separate flights, uh, 814 flight nurse combat hours, and the most patients transferred 3500 patients jim with none lost under her care
1: oh my i mean you hear that story of this woman from michigan and and it ought to be a movie i mean i don't know if people realize the bravery, the sacrifice, and, and at that time, air evacuation was uh, unheard of. This was a whole new area of medicine of how do you do this, and this woman uh, became the most successful, most experienced flight nurse, but in the end, it's a risky business, and she dies in a plane crash great great person to have inducted into the hall of honor paul
2: yeah i mean the 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 risk of simply going up jim in in a flight uh at that very early stage in in this type of military activity uh, a, a big risk and uh, tragically um she she paid the price for that when her when her plane crashed uh but but you're right just an outstanding story And uh, I'm very grateful to my fellow uh, Hall of Honor board members for uh, uncovering this story, promulgating it, and making a decision to induct her.
1: Well, it just shows the quality of people going into the Hall of Honor. And I want you to drill down a little bit more on another uh, such person. Uh, He, uh, Major General Lucius Theus, is... um, you know, when he, when you hear these guys' titles, you think, well, you know, they don't get born a general. <laughs> they don't get born a flight nurse. They go through a lot to get to where they're at. Tell us a little bit about his story.
2: Yeah, uh, Lucius Theus, uh, great story here, too, Jim. Um, he was uh, born in 1922 in Tennessee, actually, uh, but lived most of his life in Michigan. Uh, he got a bachelor's degree from the University of Maryland and a master's degree from George Washington University he enlisted in the US Army Air Corps just like Alita did uh in 1942 as a private uh, you know buck private and went all the way up eventually to uh two star general right after uh the war uh he was admitted to officer candidate school in the uh, in the army uh graduated um second in his officer class and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. Uh, Lucius Theus had a 37-year career uh, in uh, what became the United States Air Force in 1948. Uh, Many, many different um, uh, assignments, uh, both stateside and overseas, uh, one of which was the director of the Air Force Accounting and Finance Center in Denver. Uh, graduated from distinction uh, uh, with distinction from the Air War College uh, Maxwell Air Force Base uh, he was base commander at Cameron Bay Air Base in Vietnam uh, Lucius uh, developed the direct deposit system for military payrolls um, when, when I was on active duty 1975-1980 I would get this paper check and had to go to the bank and deposit it well uh, General Theus changed that uh, for the entire military. Uh, he also uh, led a Department of Defense task force in studying uh, race relations within the military, and under his leadership, uh, a, a lot of significant education programs and policies were developed to counter uh, issues in race relations and improve them within the military uh General Theus retired from the Air Force in 1979 um uh many high decorations for someone who was uh, not really in, uh, in in combat he played a support role in the Tuskegee Airmen and basically played support roles throughout his career he was the first African American uh combat support officer to be promoted uh to the rank of general one star general in uh Uh, in in any branch of the military. Uh, General Theus died in 2007 at the age of 85 and is buried in uh, Arlington National Cemetery.
1: Again, one of these stories of a man who just, you know, born in humble beginnings um, in Tennessee, who goes on through education and hard work, just has an amazing career Uh, A bright, bright guy because you can tell that from all of the assignments that he had and what he accomplished. But just a wonderful quality human being to be inducted into the into the Hall of Honor. So again, I commend the board for its activity there. Let's go on to somebody who didn't obtain the rank of general, um, somebody who was a Marine sergeant uh, yes. during his time, uh, Peter Secchia. Peter
2: Secchia is, uh, is a 2020 inductee in the veteran category. Uh, He's a uh, well known business leader and philanthropist uh, here in the western part of the state uh, from Grand Rapids originally. Um, um, uh, lived in Grand Rapids for many years, actually born in New Jersey in 1937, uh, served as a sergeant in the Marine Corps in the late 50s. Uh, he did obtain uh, his bachelor's degree in economics from Michigan State in 1963, was very active in uh, Michigan's Republican politics. He was a Republican national committeeman uh, in 1980, 84, and 88, uh, he was uh, vice chair of the RNC's Midwest region for a number of years. Uh, he was an advisor uh, to the uh, 1988 uh, election campaign committee for George H.W. Bush, uh, was um, appointed as the United States ambassador to Italy and the principality of uh, San Marino. Uh, by President Bush and served in that role from 1989 to 1993. Uh, Peter, uh, was chief executive officer for, uh, universal forest products, uh, very prominent company, uh, in Michigan, uh, served, uh, in, uh, many nonprofit, uh, voluntary, uh, capacities as well on the board of John Cabot University in Rome. Uh, Governor Angler appointed him as chair of Secchiate Commission 1 Which focused on improving Government services Uh, Governor Engler also appointed uh, Peter to Secchiate Commission 2 which focused On uh, public sector Pensions Uh, But he was also known for uh, Just outstanding philanthropy Uh, Peter donated a million Dollars in 2010 to MSU For construction of the Women's softball field named Secchiate Stadium uh, a building on the uh, Michigan State College of Human Medicine campus uh, in Grand Rapids uh, was named after him, and uh, many, many uh, public uh, awards, really too numerous to mention, Jim. I actually met Peter a couple of times. One time was at a, uh economic club of Grand Rapids lunch that was uh, arranged to commemorate 9-11 uh, a few years back and uh, I attended that and brought a couple of military folks with me, uh, one of whom was a, a marine officer. And uh, around the table are all these various high-powered people, and Peter's sitting there. He did not take any interest in any of those people, but he talked that marine zero off. Uh, <laughs> once, once a marine, always a marine, and uh, Mister Sekiya really showed that.
1: Well, I think it's uh, important okay. that we recognize folks not only for their military service but the way in which they continue their public service uh, afterwards, and it certainly sounds like Peter Secchi did that in in uh, bushel-basketfuls. Um, but this uh, board uh, has, you know, uh, in the 2020 class, you've got uh, um, President Ford, you've got Governor Milliken, you have Senator Peters, uh, really men who cross all political lines, uh, Democrats, Independent, Republicans, and it really isn't about their, uh, uh, you know, what initial they put after their name. Is it, uh, Paul, it's about the service?
2: Uh, exactly right, Jim. Uh, what we're looking for uh, as a board for uh, these inductees and potential inductees for the future is uh, achievement, um, uh, thought leadership, um, initiative, uh, overcoming barriers. Uh, uh, breaking through being the first of something. And uh, I think in 2021, we have a candidate or two that uh, fits certainly those descriptions.
1: Well, let's remind our Veteran Radio listeners that we're talking to Paul J. Ryan, uh, Navy Captain, Reserve Retired, uh, board member of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, and that uh, the induction ceremony is coming up November 19th. Uh, at the Michigan History Museum in Lansing, and uh, folks can go to the website to find out more information, and can they attend the ceremony?
2: Right, uh, open to the public, uh, free and open to the public, so uh, uh, come on and uh, join us if you uh, find yourself in Lansing on November
1: 19th. So the induction ceremony should be uh, very interesting on November 19th, And next month, we'll tell you about the 2021 inductees to the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. Uh, Let's hear some more from a couple of sponsors before we go on to the next half of our program.
0: The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Private Dale Hansen killed 12 Japanese soldiers in a one-man attack on their positions. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Hansen unhesitatingly took the initiative during a critical stage of the action, and armed with a rocket launcher, crawled to an exposed position where he attacked and destroyed a strategically located hostile pillbox. With his weapon subsequently destroyed by enemy fire, he seized a rifle and continued his one-man assault. Reaching the crest of a ridge, he opened fire on six Japanese and killed four before his rifle jammed. Attacked by the two remaining Japanese, he beat them off with the butt of his rifle and then climbed back to cover. Returning with another weapon and supply of grenades, he fearlessly advanced and destroyed a strong mortar position and annihilated eight more of the enemy. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio.
3: Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit veteranscrisisline.net, veteranscrisisline.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs.
1: We're gonna hear now from a couple of leaders of the Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance. Um, there's some important issues to talk to them about. Uh, And it is uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, so the timing of this interview turned out pretty well. So sit back and enjoy we want to welcome to veterans radio today two special guests uh brigadier general carlos charlie martinez and brigadier general joseph medina both retired uh charlie was uh in the united states air force and joseph was with the united states marine corps gentlemen welcome to veterans radio
3: nice to be here great to be here
1: well we have both of these gentlemen on because they are um, uh, on the board of the hispanic veterans leadership alliance and we're going to talk about that in a minute but let me give you a little background on each of these uh, gentlemen uh, brigadier general joseph medina united states marine corps uh, graduated from the U- u.s naval academy and uh, later went on to earn his master's of science degree in systems management from the university of southern california he had a number of uh, assignments uh, and uh, teaching positions even you know with these generals you always get these smart cookies uh, <laughs> include and one of his uh you know assignments of note was the ground-up development of a new organization the expeditionary strike group three and he led the strike group during a combat operation or deployment in operation Iraqi freedom uh he's been retired now for uh, a number of years his service period i think was 1976 to 2007 and he's uh, very active in the civilian world in a number of uh, major corporations and uh, very interesting things that we probably won't have time to talk about, but uh, I assure you, uh, uh, Brigadier General uh, Medina's got uh, quite the hell of a resume. And uh, uh, Brigadier General Carlos or Charlie Martinez is no slouch either. He was born in Havana, Cuba, grew up in Miami, Florida, graduated from the University of Miami, uh, with his BS in systems and analysis, uh, entered the Air Force to become a pilot, got assigned uh, off to various uh, flight training duties and other things. Uh, along the way, picked up an MS in operations research from the George Washington University and has a number of tours as a management engineer and as a missile test engineer. Ultimately uh, moved over to the Air Force Reserve, had a variety of uh operations research uh and acquisitions positions through that his career as a reservist uh, he rose to the rank of brigadier general uh went back on some active duty time after 911 and uh, his uh, period of service is 1972 to 2006, gentlemen. Both of you, I could I could spend uh, 20 minutes on, but I'm not going to be able to do that today because we're trying to cover some other issues. But uh, um, I'm always curious. I guess I got to ask this question first, and I'll, I'll go to uh, Charlie if I can go to you first. Sure. Um, it's always curious. and I think it's good to pass along to people. Why did a nice boy like you from Miami? Uh, go into the military
4: well it's a real um ever since i was a child i was always fascinated with the military and particularly with airplanes um and i had no intention of going into the military uh, until um, well, i was 1971 i was graduating i got one of those low draft numbers which meant that the army was going to join me so i thought well i'm not going to let the army join me so i'm going to join the air force instead and uh and pursue that uh, childhood ambition of becoming a pilot. So that's what I did. (laughs) And I have never looked back and thought it was a bad decision. It was one of the best moves I ever made in my life.
1: Well, and we should say you uh, uh, met that boyhood uh, uh, dream of becoming a pilot and are a licensed and active instructor pilot as well. That's too, yes. Uh, Joseph, let me turn to you. Uh, you know, how did a nice boy like you end up at the Naval Academy?
3: <laughs> well, my uh, I come from a career military family. My father uh, enlisted uh, in the U.S. Army uh, when he was 15 and a half, uh, and that's at the end of World War II. Um, he, he told me later because he tried to come in the Marine Corps first and they He said uh, he he didn't weigh enough, so he joined the Army. He did uh, 20 years, 21 years in before he retired, um, based out of Fort Hood. Um, And and interestingly, I have a son that's uh, also a Naval Academy graduate, and he's flying the Mm V-22 in Okinawa. So between the three of us, we already have uh, over 60 years of military service. Uh,
1: so that, that's how I got started. Well, those are, uh, a, a lot of the times we see that this gets passed on. It's a, it's a family affair. Everybody recognizes the need to serve in some capacity. You don't have to make a career out of it. But, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, that's an, uh, 60 years of service is incredible. Um, so both of you gentlemen retired, uh, from the military and, uh, uh, some number of years later, uh, got involved in the Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance, um, Charlie. Why don't you tell us uh, how and why you got involved? Sure.
4: Um, well, when, when I um, towards the end of my um, um, military career, uh, there were several of us his Hispanics that had uh, and, and other minorities that had risen to the uh, rank of uh, general. So uh, we thought, hey, you know, we're finally we finally arrived. You know that that uh, the Air Force has finally recognized that minorities are important and uh, and we're rising to the ranks. And then I retired, and then um, uh, through contacts with some of my former um, uh, officers, and particularly Eddie Cabrera, who is the, uh, the founder of the HVLA, uh, I sort of became aware of the fact that, that maybe I was the last class to uh, rise to the rank of general, and things had gone downhill since then. So... Um, Eddie had, uh, put together a bunch of data for, that he'd, uh, uh identified. And, uh, I looked at it and I said, oh yeah, this, this is a serious problem that we're facing now and we have to do something about it. So I joined the HVLA probably about three years ago. Um, and before the, uh, the IRDR, the, uh, in, uh, the, uh, racial diversity review that came out in December 2020. So, uh, and been most active with them since.
1: Let's give Eddie Cabrera some uh, additional props here. I don't have his full resume, but uh, I do have in front of me that he's a 1982 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, where he earned his B.S. in uh, uh, astronomical engineering. He holds an M.S. and an M.A. Uh, Again, another one of these really smart guys. I don't have the, the year that he retired, and I think his retirement rank was at a colonel level. That's correct. He was a colonel. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for uh, seeing a need for the Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance and reaching out to uh, gentlemen like you guys. Joseph, how, uh, how did a nice uh, retired Brigadier General, busy in the private sector, find himself pulled into the Hispanic <laughs> well, Veterans I, Leadership Alliance? <laughs>
3: yeah, when I was on active duty, I was involved in uh, recruiting Hispanic, um, use, uh, both officer and enlisted into the Marine Corps. Um, and, and after I retired, um, there were, we had made some progress with the number of Hispanics that had been, been recruited. Um, and then after a few years, I, I looked back and saw all the, the colonels and generals seemed to be Hispanic colonels and generals in the, in the Marine Corps, uh, were leaving the service. So I, I I said, hey, that's something uh, we we need to pay more attention to. And um, I I joined HVLA about a year ago, but became a board member only about uh, four months ago. Um, A friend of mine is also uh, on the board, uh, Rico Aponte, and he had shared with me some of the work they were doing. Uh, So I was, was, uh, when he offered me to join, I, I had my hand in the air and said, yeah, it's something I'd, I'd like to do, see if we can improve the leadership. Um, you know, there, in the Marine Corps, there's certainly a lot of enlisted Hispanics, but we, we don't have the numbers in the officer corps that we need to, especially the senior officers.
1: Well, see, they didn't teach you guys anything in Marines. You never volunteer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but the Army guys would have known that. Um <laughs> But uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, your, the, the HVLA's mission, which is set out as, um, and, and I should say that uh, Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance is a nonprofit 501c3 organization, and its mission is to advance the inclusion of Latinos across all leadership levels in the United States armed forces, military and civilian positions. So it's a, you know, it's a uh, solid mission that I don't think anybody can really. Um, disagree with and its board is a bunch of uh, really impressive guys like yourself as HVLA has uh, looked at this issue I guess let me turn to something that it's uh, currently put out and commenting on and maybe it creates a new opportunity to have people look at uh, Hispanics' service in the military a little differently and that is uh, as the DOD kind of tries to figure out uh, what do we do with these confederate named bases and we go through base renaming uh, there's been some suggestion by the uh, alliance that um, you should look at hispanic uh, military men um, and rename accordingly uh, joseph can you talk to us a little bit about the thinking here
3: certainly certainly um, part of the uh... The mission and vision of HVLA uh, is not just to increase the number, it's that our, uh, the makeup, uh, particularly the senior level, should reflect society as a whole. And society as a whole, you know, has 18% increasing to 20% Hispanics. So we should have that in the senior ranks. For the bases, um, I, one of the other things I did prior to retirement is I, I was a commander of the Marine Corps installations in the Pacific. So the Marine Corps does not have, uh, did not have a, a bunch of bases named after Confederate officers or Confederate uh, folks, and, and so, uh, you know, the Army does, and, and in particular, um, so we felt that, uh, you know, these should be representative of our, of our society. Um, you know, we do have, and particularly here, and I live in Houston. And not far from here, and as I mentioned, where my father retired from was Fort Hood, named after a former Confederate general from Texas. Uh, and we have, uh, uh, you know, several uh, very um, stellar Hispanic soldiers, uh, two in particular that were both from Texas, uh, and that was one was uh, Master Sergeant uh uh, Roy Benavides and the other one was General Cavazos. Um and and they, uh, you know, were originally both from um, from Texas, and they're both buried at the cemetery, mm. uh, the the National Cemetery, uh, Veteran Cemetery at Fort Sam Houston. Um, so, you know, we felt that it was fitting, uh, particularly with some of the issues that Fort Hood had last year. Um, and, and they both, uh, had experience at Fort Bragg as well. So that's why HVLA says, uh, uh, you know, these would be stellar candidates. You know, General Cavazos, uh, not only was the first general officer in the army, Hispanic, he was the first four-star general officer. And he has two separate, uh, distinguished service crosses. That's the next level down from, a uh, Medal of Honor, one in the Korean War and one in Vietnam. Really a distinguished uh, man, a uh, great soldier. Um, and Roy Benavides, uh, Medal of Honor winner. And if you, if you read, if you understand some of his history, uh, he went to Vietnam the first time in, uh, I believe it was 1965. Got injured, uh, came back, uh, was recuperating in the hospital for over a year. Was told that he was not going to be able to walk again. Uh, he forced himself up to walk, and and within a year he, he he was released from the hospital. And a year later, or two years later, and he in 1968 he found himself was able to to convince the army to let him go back uh, to special forces and went back to Vietnam, uh, where he where he earned his his medal of honor. Um, and and uh they thought he was dead then at that time uh they actually had loaded him in a body bag um and was shipping him back when when he was he started to fight with the doctor that <laughs> so they said i guess this guy's not dead so he came back <laughs> later awarded uh, the medal of honor so these two soldiers uh, are tremendous tremendous records um, and, um, so we, we thought they should be fitting and should be, should be considered, uh, to be named. Having been a base commander, I know the name of a base carries importance to the service members that are serving there. So, you know, that's why we felt that, um, uh, you know, personally, I felt it, it was wrong having the bases named after, uh, Confederate soldiers, but, you know, no matter which way you are on that issue, it's already been decided that they're going to be renamed. So we thought these two um, soldiers, in particular, should should be uh, considered for for uh, for the naming of these bases.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know how you could find two better uh, men to uh, honor with naming bases. Uh, uh roy Benavides is a medal of honor uh recipient that right there tells you that his story is above most and both in valor and heroism and and uh, i'm not uh, familiar and i am familiar with Benavides' story i'm not familiar with uh general uh Caruso's story and as the first hispanic four-star general we all should be sort of uh, uh, alerted to that that's uh, again one of those prestigious you, you don't get four stars for nothing and his two distinguished service crosses uh, are a testament to his valor as well so those are those are both great names uh, let me ask a question yeah
3: he, it, uh, he came from a relatively poor family and he managed to uh, get into texas tech uh, and he had a uh, As an ROTC, was a distinguished graduate from ROTC there, and both him and his brother, his brother also rose to be the uh, the U.S. Secretary of Education. Uh, So they both pulled themselves up uh, and and did did quite well. So
1: um, is there? Let me ask this. I I should know this, and you know, but I guess there's hundreds of bases in Army, Air Force, etc. Are there uh, bases named uh, after Hispanic uh, military men?
4: Not that I know of.
1: Well, that, that sort of answers uh,
4: yeah, it right there. Not,
3: yeah, there's not major bases. There is a, I know there's a training camp in Korea. Um, I think it's called the Rodriguez Rodriguez Camp. Um, so yeah, there's no no, no major bases that I am aware of. Um, that are that are named for Hispanics.
1: Well, that leans heavily uh, in, in favor here of what HVLA is uh, promoting. But there's one more name uh, for Naval Station Rota in Spain that it's promoting. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that, if you will, uh, General Medina.
3: Yeah, that would be uh, Admiral Horatio Rivero. Um, he is actually from Puerto Rico, um, and he went to the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, from Puerto Rico, um, and graduated uh, prior to World War uh, II. So he served in World War II. Um, and in fact, uh, he received a bronze star with a combat V while in World War II um, on on one of the ships, and that was during the Guadalcanal campaign. Um, but he he rose to uh, to become an admiral. As a matter of fact, he was the the admiral that uh, President Kennedy tapped. To lead the fleet uh, to, uh, for the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, for the blockade around Cuba. Uh, you know, he later served as the uh, as vice uh, chief of naval operations in the Navy, um, and and so he he has been uh, quite a distinguished career. Um, you know, he you know everything from World War II, the Korean War, uh, <clears throat> and in fact, he was the uh, vice chief of naval operations. During uh, during the Vietnam War as well, so uh, he's well deserving. He is from Puerto Rico, so he should certainly uh, be considered for that base.
1: Well, it's it's an interesting mix of gentlemen, uh, all with very distinguished records, which is why the Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance is putting these names forward, and they're really making recommendations to people that uh, since the Department of Defense has a naming commission, you can actually uh, reach out to that commission and say hey we support this name or that name and and HVLA would like you to support these three names and that website for the naming commission is www.thenamingcommission.gov i'm just hoping department of defense didn't pay a whole lot of money to figure that name out um <laughs> thenamingcommission.gov <laughs> um as you have been talking about Base renaming and thinking about uh, uh, Hispanic military men who should be honored here with uh, base naming. Uh, what kind of reaction have you gentlemen received from uh, your colleagues, DOD active duty folks, on this idea that if you're going to have this opportunity to rename, do it in uh, some of them in the name of Hispanic veterans?
3: Yeah, I, I have seen very positive. Um, comments on this. Uh, I do know one of the members on the base renaming committee is a former commandant of the Marine Corps. Uh, and although he is, that was General Miller, and although he has not said he prefers any specific name, he has indicated that he felt that the, uh, uh the bases should be named to reflect, uh, our, our, our society. So, um, I, I think uh, another member on the on the committee is also uh, the first four star uh, general or admiral um, Michelle Howard. So I, I think uh, with with the uh, diversity of the of the naming commission, I I, I believe uh, there will there will certainly be they're going to cast a wide net and and consider consider everyone. But I would expect that uh, their solutions will will have some reflection. It will be a closer reflection to, to our current society than than the, the old bases.
1: Well, we want to recommend folks go to the Hispanic Veterans Leadership Alliance website, which is hvlavets.org, for some more information on this and certainly on the backgrounds on, on uh, these two generals who we're talking to. Pretty interesting discussion with uh, General Martinez and General Medina. Um, I hope you'll go to hvla.org and kind of check more of that story out and maybe even go to the namingcommission.gov, uh the naming and weigh in on what you think ought to happen with uh, those bases where they're going to rename them. That decision's been made. Now that that's been made, let's talk about how these bases should be named on a going-forward basis. So kind of a whole new issue um, and an interesting discussion with members of HVLA. The discussion with Captain Paul Ryan of the United States Navy Reserve, retired on the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor, was also a good bit of history uh, where we learned about, uh, you know, Michiganders, maybe who we forgot their military service, and you can check more of that out at MI Military Vet Hall of So those are both uh, good things to, to uh, look into out of today's show. As I said earlier, I'm Jim Fossone. I've been your Officer of the Deck today. Um, it's a pleasure to always be in that role when uh, give Dale a, a little uh, crew chief time off from his duties here at the uh, microphone for Veterans Radio. And uh, we want to remind you always that you can find us on Facebook. Uh, like us if you haven't. uh keep you posted on the shows. Um, our website is veteransradio.net. And um, so we're always looking for new ideas, people to talk to, uh, maybe stories that you heard that haven't been fully explored on the air. So uh, if you got one of those hanging around, or if you know a buddy who uh, maybe has one of those hanging around, Throw us an email. It's Jim at veteransradio.net or my sidekick Dale at veteransradio.net. We're always looking for those additional uh, ideas. Uh, I want to, before we get out of here, also talk to you about our sponsors. We've we've got some great sponsors, and uh, they've been loyal for. We're sneaking up on 18 years of doing veterans radio. Uh, our local VSO sponsors, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles, Chapter 310 in Ann Arbor, VFW, Graf O'Hara, Post 423, and American Legion Press Corps, Post 46, both in Ann Arbor. We couldn't do this show without our sponsors, and if you want to be a sponsor, go to veteransradio.net, contact us to help us out uh, in that regards. It's really something that keeps us going, and it also a, helps uh, relieve the stress level when, uh, we can uh, cover all the expenses. Nobody's uh, drawn a salary out of this. We're doing this for our love of our veterans and the need to tell these stories so that they don't get lost. We talk about historical issues. Maybe that's the Hall of Honor discussion today. But we also talk about things that are current that need to be dealt with today, base renaming, current uh, issues of disparity of treatment in the armed forces. So um, come back next week. And until next time, you are dismissed.